postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we will be talking about stillbirth and infant loss. Nothing can prepare a person for the tragedy of losing a baby, along with the hopes and dreams of being a parent to that child. How to cope, what to expect, how to get helpful support. Amy Wright Glenn is here to help us to compassionately navigate this difficult reality. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show. And here's a quick reminder that it would be super helpful if you could rate the show on iTunes, even if that's not how you normally listen to it. So to do that, go to birthful.com slash review. And there's a video there that explains how to how to go through the steps. But basically, you click on the view in iTunes link, then click on ratings and reviews and give us as many stars as you think we deserve. And if you want to add some kind words, I would love it. So all it takes is one link and three clicks starting from birthful.com slash review. I will be forever grateful. Today on the show, I have Amy Wright Glenn here, and it's a pleasure to have her here. I want to tell you a little bit about her. Um, Amy earned her master's in religion and education from Teachers College College Columbia University. She taught for 11 years in the religion and philosophy department at the Lawrenceville School in New Jersey, earning the Dunbar Abstin Junior Chair for Teaching Excellence. She is a Kripa, and I don't know if it's Kripalu or Kripalu. Um, and she will correct me soon, <laughs> yoga teacher, birthing mama, prenatal yoga, and wellness teacher trainer. She's also a Dona certified birth doula, a hospital chaplain, and founder of the Institute for the Study of Birth, Breath, and Death, which offers training on holding space for pregnancy loss, among many other things. Amy is a regular contributor to Philly Voice and recently published her first book, Birth, Breath, and Death, Meditations on Motherhood, Chaplaincy, and Life as a Doula, which is a wonderful read I recommended. Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Adriana. I'm glad to be here. Could you pronounce the, is it Kripalu? Kripalu? How do you pronounce it? Kripalu. Thanks for asking. It's the Sanskrit word for compassion. It's a certain school of yoga that I was trained in, and I still find my home there. It's a beautiful philosophy around yoga. It's also a location. The Kripalu Yoga Center in Massachusetts mm. Massachusetts is the largest yoga center in the U.S. and I think they have over 50,000 visitors a year. So it's quite a, it's quite an, a, quite an um, undertaking to imagine planning yoga events for that many people, but it's a remarkable place. It's beautiful there. Oh, it sounds fantastic. I have to look it up. That sounds delightful. Um, so yes, thank you again for being on the show. And was we were talking a little bit before we started that today's topic is not an easy one. Um, and I really appreciate you being here to talk with us about it because your studies and experiences give you a unique insight to those connections between birth and death. Why is it so hard for us to talk about this? Well, uh, I think there's a real powerful grief that comes into our hearts and minds when we notice a life unfolding in a way that's outside of the norm. The normative pattern is birth, childhood, middle age, 
hopefully a healthy old age and death. And when young people, and particularly babies, die, this disrupts that normative flow that we see repeating in most human lives. And the grief is very deep. And for parents who have prepared their hearts to nurture a child, to suddenly be preparing a funeral is remarkably challenging and remarkably difficult. And I think it's hard for us to talk about because there's an incredible sense of speechlessness, really, around this upset in what we consider the normative human life cycle. Mm -hmm. So I know the cliches don't, well, the cliche phrases can actually be more hurtful, and even though even if they, they're coming from a place of, you know, of uh, from the heart, saying things like, oh, you have another baby. Oh, you, you know, you're healthy. You're still, what are things that actually can help? How can we, since we have such a hard time talking about it, I think sometimes having even oh, being prompted in what can be helpful can really help us to better support anybody going through this process. And that's, that's the study, right? That's the work of being a supportive and loving partner, a friend, sister, mother, um, even a chaplain, as I've been trained as a chaplain, to be with a mother through grief that is, like I mentioned, very, in some sense, taboo in our culture. It's difficult to talk about and renders us so profoundly grief-stricken. I think what's most helpful is the presence of listening. It's it's really difficult to be present to something so immensely um, awful. Really, it's just painful and awful to, to lose a baby. And when I think of the word grief or to be bereaved, it means to be torn apart. And how are we able to be present for someone when they're torn apart? And I think that really relates to our comfort zone and our level of being present with our own heart and our own wounds. So the first step I would think is to avoid cliches as much as possible to be present physically to sit close to the mom if she's willing to be touched to hold her hand and tell me more I'm here for you tell me more and be willing to hear the story over and over because it's the processing that will bring meaning and often a, a heightened sense of healing. I think it's helpful to think of being with people in grief as a companion rather than as treating them or somehow fixing it, but to companion with them through, to have a teach me perspective, to say, please teach me about this grief and teach me about your situation, especially for those of us who may have never lost a baby. It's, it's such foreign territory. We can imagine, but it's hard to really stand in such shoes. So to, to companion with rather than, oh, I'm going to fix or I'm going to be the support person, to join the person in the sadness. I draw upon the work here of Alan Wolfett. He's at the Center for Loss and Life Transition out in Colorado. And he's the one who said, I, I really want to emphasize companioning people through grief rather than treating people in grief. And I am really, that's that really speaks to me because that's what we want to do, you know, because we're uncomfortable with it, we want to fix it. We want to take it away. We want to make it better. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to understand that the way to make it better is actually to take on a little bit of the burden and go out of our comfort zone to be able to just be with that person. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And another pieces that would be helpful would be to encourage the family to keep mementos of the baby. I, I just spent some time supporting a family uh, through baby loss, and one of the instincts of one member was to just go home before their mom came home from the hospital and clear out all the baby things, donate them, you know, pack up all the clothes, pack up the crib, pack up. I, I, was, I was listening to the story, and I just wanted to help this person put the brakes on a little and say, you know, when she comes home, she comes home empty-handed from the hospital to see these treasures will be important. It will be important for the grief. It will be important to remember to come home to a home where there's no sign of what she was anticipating to um, welcome. It would be really a stark, I think, a jarring experience. So it may not mean you keep every item, but those precious items. And for the baby, you know, to hold your infant, that infant that's lifeless but loved, loved dearly, to hold that child, have photos of that child, mementos of that child, it is very important not to, I, if the mother's willing and to support that mother through this, to uh, connect and hold the baby and hold the body of the baby. Yeah. And it, it, what I'm hearing is to acknowledge the person that was lost, to acknowledge that this indeed happened and to create that space in order to talk more about it and respect and, and, and treasure what happened. Right. The, I mean, Adriana, the, the wound of stillbirth in particular, and that's what we're discussing, and I'm not minimizing in any way the wounds of miscarriage, but mm -hmm. to lose a baby in that um, final trimester and the last weeks, or to lose a baby post-birth, you know, infant loss, it stays in the body. And I, I was a doula for a mother who had the stillbirth of twins prior to hiring me for her her birth, her subsequent birth. And there was a moment in her labor where she was 10 centimeters ready to push and she wild-eyed looked at me, I can't do this, I can't do this, it's my past. Hmm. And there's a really powerful reckoning, I think, in the body. It's not just the mind. I mean, she, this mom, um, I shared this without identifying her in any way, but I, I can share that she spent a lot of time in counseling, you know, preparing herself for the the labor of a new child after the, the loss of the twins. But even with the talk therapy, the body remembered the experience of opening and delivering those children dead. Mm -hmm. and, and the body, that reckoning, the body, the healing of the body, I think we would be wise as professionals who work with birthing moms to recognize that healing and the power of, uh, of um, processing and integrating those dark and painful parts of our lives is multidimensional. It's not just to talk about it, but it's also to dance and to feel and to massage and to yoga and to cry and to walk. And it's like in the bones of our bodies. You know, we know that even childhood trauma affects the body years later. It's proven. So at the trauma of losing a child, especially for a mother who then subsequently has more babies, needs to be honored, acknowledged, made space for. It's a chapter in her life. This was her child, named, um, made a momentum, you know, like included in the family story, and then processed, if possible, in the body so that we don't have a moment where, oh, my God, it's my past. I can't push my baby up because this reminds me of when I did this before, and it was such a heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And I can... 
I can see that because you can see it also, those triggers that come up during a subsequent pregnancy, subsequent birth, um, you see it also with VBAC moms at that right. time where things stalled and, and, you know, maybe they couldn't get past six centimeters. So when they get six, their body remembers and not everything resurges. Yeah. Um, right. So it, it is a process that stays in your body. Yeah, I completely agree with you. In our house, we are big on hydrating. Aside from all the important health benefits, I find that if I'm not well hydrated, I get these brutal headaches. So it's really important for me to hydrate. However, I do not like the taste of tap water and I cannot bring myself to buy bottled water because of all the plastic waste. So for years, we did pitcher filters, but then we switched to AquaTrue water purifiers. And after tasting the deliciousness of their truly clean water, we are never going back. What makes AquaTrue so unique is that they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. This process removes 15% more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, also known as forever chemicals, that are found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. You can also forget about having to change filters every two to three months because AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Now, if plastic bottles are your thing, just one set of filters from AquaTrue's classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com and enter the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L. Diaper Rash it can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that work for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at DrMomButtBalm.com That's DrMomButtBalm.com or look for it at Amazon.com. 
Then there's the other part of you're also going through a physiological process. Your right, body is. Right. Right. And you don't have the baby. And you, um, I rec recently wrote a, an article specifically about this, about a mom who donated 92 gallons of breast milk following the pregnancy loss of her son at 20 weeks. Can you share a bit more about that? I will. I'm happy to share. I and mean, the best part of writing for me and writing for Philly Voice in particular is the freedom I have to interview these remarkable people. And I'm able to interview really interesting scholars and psychologists and activists and thinkers and moms who inspire me beyond belief. So this woman is named Amy Anderson from Caribou, Maine, the small little town up, you know, northern, northern U.S., up by the Canadian border. She said it's so small and there's four women in the La Leche League. Like, you know, this, no. this is a place. She said that she, there's no bereavement support offered in her community formally and when she was um, when she delivered the body of her son at 20 weeks her doctor said there's no way your milk will come in it's so early and when it did come in and her breast filled with milk and she said it was so engorged and so painful he said you know wrap them and bind them and take Sudafed and the milk will you know it will subside and, and uh, she just found that so counterintuitive and she had never heard of donating milk but she pulled out the breast pump and she started pumping. She just And then she said as soon as she started pumping, and she had six ounces of colostrum, that first pump, and she said, I felt a connection to my son Bryson. And I felt the love that I had for that boy, and that I have for that boy, and his presence. This milk was for him. And the, the, what I learned in that interview, which was so remarkable, is that the milk a mother makes when a baby's born premature is different than the milk a mother makes when the baby is born full term. I had no idea. And I consider myself somewhat educated, you know, as a doula, pretty educated on breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And as a breastfeeding mom of four years, you know, from my own experience, but she sent me some powerful links and she said her, the milk bank that she found eventually discovered and she donated milk, 92 gallons over eight months, did not need to mix her milk with any other milk. Usually they mix three or four different milk sources to make a combination suitable for in the most nutritious combinations for the premature babies that depend on this milk. Uh, her milk, her son's milk, Bryson's milk, was directly given. And it was because it was just made for a premature baby. It was remarkable. She found healing through that process, the pumping of her milk and the donating it, and knowing that it was saving the lives. She said, I couldn't bear the grief that another mom would experience a loss like I had. And I wanted to honor him in his life and give this gift and I thought I mean I had tears I retyped up her story honestly Adriana I was just like this is remarkable and and a lot of women didn't you know and then I put it was shared very widely in social media and I received a lot of emails from it as well I mean you read tens of thousands of times and I I received emails from RNs who said I run um, bereavement support group in my hospital we never tell moms to consider pumping Mm -hmm. I never thought of that. You know, I just really like, oh my God, the seed needs to be out there. People need to know this is an option. And that won't be for every mom. But imagine if every mother who had experienced infant loss, stillbirth, you know, or late term, you know, a miscarriage where milk does come in, knew that this option existed and could reflect on if this would be healing for their body and the memory of their child. 
And the fact that we have this need in our culture, we, we formula is not the food to give to premature babies. Every premature baby deserves human breast milk. It's so vital. I just think there's a, a great possibility to turn grief into, into um, a sense of gratitude here. Mm-hmm. And it's also the benefit if, if the mother considers that it's right for her, it gives her, it can help give her a sense of purpose, give an outlet for all this grief, like it happened for, for Amy Anderson, where by having this purpose, it sort of changes what their thoughts are. And then because infant loss and, and stillbirth can be a big trigger for postpartum depression. Oh, yes. So having that purpose, having, you know, not going into deeper into the depths of dark, but being able to find some light in this process while acknowledging your child and giving it some purpose, I can see how that was really helpful and healing for her. Mm-hmm. I do, too. Yeah, it, it was. Thank you for writing it because it was really interesting. And if um, if listeners want to know more about milk banking, I did a um, look at the po- podcast episode with Amber McCann that we did specifically on milk banking. So there's resources there of who you can contact, and she does go more in depth into this exactly the situation that they need more milk for preemies um, in the hospitals through the milk banks. Sure. The one thing I'll add, too, is the need for our breastfeeding workplace laws to shift the terminology where right now in the federal mandate it says that women are protected in workplace to receive these you know, unpaid breaks to pump for a nursing child. Well, when you lose your nursing child, you're still pumping for, for other children, right? And if you're a surrogate, you're certainly pumping for other children who may not be at home nursing on your body. I think uh, Amy Anderson's story and the fact she did not receive support in her workplace. She was working at a preschool. You would think at a preschool that there would be some oh, wow. sensitivity around this. But her employer said to her, your, your baby's dead. And, you, you know, these laws don't apply. They technically actually don't apply. That's the thing. That's the problem. And we need to advocate all women involved with child care, all women who are just you know, on people, men and women, whether parents or not, need to advocate for a shift in terminology so that law does protect surrogate mothers and uh, bereaved mothers who choose to pump. Yeah, and the terminology, not only legally, but also around our own, the way we consider it and the way we think about it. And this goes back to, you know, sitting with the mom and seeing how she how she is processing it and how she taking the lead from her in terms of, for example, order of babies, because you might approach a mom that you has two living children, but actually considers them, you know, that they're actually two and four and has two other angel babies or it, the, the way of referring to her, her dead children can be different, but, I find that that's also something that we have a hard time figuring out how to navigate and acknowledge. I know, I know. And even in the hospital, you know, when a woman comes in to deliver a baby and it's 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 a baby that's died and she's going to deliver a stillbirth baby, how the hospital room is set up matters, you know, and that's where those of us involved in care, either as chaplains or nurses, midwives, doctors, can be far more attentive to the need for things like stillness and silence or presence 
that death is a normal part of life and grief is a normal part of life and and I know that for many moms they will want to see the baby they'll want you know the um, bassinet not to put be pushed in the corner with stark lights in the room but a soft presence and perhaps you know putting around the baby these precious items like a necklace or the little footprints or photos like a shrine making a shrine for the child and that may be the only place the child really ever in some sense lived would be in this in this spot and and it's not true not all moms want that but many do i mean i think most of us do benefit from having these mementos to honor these moments in life i i was a chaplain for one mom for stillbirth and the baby was early and died suddenly after a really terrible fight she had had a verbal fight with the father of the baby and she blamed herself and the stress in her body for the mm. birth the premature birth and didn't want to see her son and i spent a lot of time listening to her cry I was with her at the bedside for quite a while and she just was really adamant i don't want to see him i don't want to see him it scares me to see him and i finally i just listened and finally i said can i see him for you would i would it help you if i went in the room because he would, his body was in next door in the nurse, you know, there's another room in, in the labor delivery unit. Would it help if I went and said goodbye for you and touched him and said how much you love him for you, you know, be the bearer in that message? And she just was like, please, and a really relief for her. And, and I did. I went and spoke to that little one. Mm-hmm. It was very moving. And I came back and shared with her what I said. And for her, that link was important. And, and for, for some moms, some, I think links are important, and that link can be, I think, ideally very physical, to hold the baby. That's what we do when people die, even elders, we bathe the body. You know, traditionally as human beings, we cared for our own dead, and and uh, we benefit, I think, physically to, to honor that pain. It's a real pain. It's, it's a very deep pain. And for that mom, I was a link for her to honor that in a tangible way. And I don't know after I left that day if she did go see her son. I don't know. But I, you know, as a hospital chaplain, you're on the front lines, kind of an emotional triage, and people check, you know, out or they stay an extra day, and you don't necessarily have the next day shift. But I, I remember that moment so viscerally, vividly and viscerally, really. Mm-hmm. I know the story of a mom. They they had a similar situation where they the parents could not. They were so in shock, and it, you know, it was such a surprise to them that they weren't in a place to be able to interact with their child at that time. And a nurse took some pictures, mm. and afterwards, that when they were coming back from the fog, you know, a few weeks later, they were so grateful. And appreciative of having those pictures because then they could go back and actually connect with their child. Mm-hmm. So sure. I like to share with people the the service of Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, which mm-hmm. is photographers that will come to the hospital. And, you know, it's a network, it's a nonprofit, so you have to connect with the volunteers. But they will come and take pictures of baby, uh, professional pictures, Um of the baby so that you can have that memento. We were talking about mementos before. Yes, absolutely. I think it's precious and powerful and wonderful. I, I'm leading a program in January on pregnancy loss. It's a five-week training. It's ten, 10 hours, two hours a week. And one of the women who signed up is 
volunteer for that organization. And she said, I just want to know more. I want to understand how I can do my work more effectively. So, uh, so there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of movement happening to break the taboo of silence, to bring educated voices to the table. There's some great work being done. I want to highlight in Indianapolis, there's, there's the work of two RNs who collaborated, a woman named Jane Hustis and a woman named Marcia Meyer Jenkins. And these two nurses worked together to take that companioning model I mentioned by Anne-Lillian Wolfett and apply it to perinatal loss. And it's a beautiful book. It's it's a guide for nurses, physicians, social workers, chaplains, and other bedside caregivers. So for anyone listening who is supporting a, mo- a mother or family through this, such work can be you know a, a treasure trove of wisdom because these books are written for the caregiver. They're written from the point of view of caregiver to care- caregiver. And yeah, there's philosophy and scholarship involved, but there's also a lot of heartfelt stories and very practical advice, like preparing food for the family, honoring the the day, you know, a year later, connecting, you know, let me hear the story again, um, encouraging the creation of ritual so that families have a way to honor through a burial or through some kind of service. There's just a lot we can do that we haven't done I don't know. We haven't done recently. I know through human history, I would hope in different cultures, it's you know it's been done. But in America, there's been a, a, a silent kind of shame around this, and and I think we need to break that shame and be present with the grief and be willing to feel the pain, and make sense and integrate this natural part of life. And when I say natural, it doesn't mean it's easy. But not every baby lives, and and that's just been the human story. And some. You know, and I know one out of four, you know, eggs that are fertilized, they, they miscarry. I've I've miscarried. I think if we share those stories in an open way, we 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 are able to normalize the beha- the experience and make room for the pain, and integrate in a healthier way than having people hide this in some kind of shameful secret. Absolutely. You know, whether we're talking about stillbirth, which is more rare, it's but you know, it's about one or six infant deaths in a thousand for infant deaths, and for stillborns, it's one in a hundred and sixty. Um, so miscarriages is definitely more common, and I think that's why we hear more about it. Um, but we all of it, we need to, like you say, we do need to acknowledge it and connect with one another to help us be you know, process and, and be more together. You know, I mean, we share so many experiences. We can help each other through all of them. Mm-hmm. Sure. You mentioned, could you give me the name of the book um, from the nurses in Indianapolis? Do you know it? Yes, I do. I have it in my hands, actually. It's called Companioning at a Time of Perinatal Loss, a guide for nurses, physicians, social workers, chaplains, and other bedside caregivers. An excellent read, a woman, Jane Hustis, and then another RN, a woman named Marcia Jenkins. And they draw upon the work of Alan Wolfett, who's out in Colorado. He's the founder of the Center for Loss and Life Transition. And he's really been the one that's championed this concept of companioning care for mourners, where we, we are present with people and we approach people in grief with a teach me perspective rather than treating them with grief like oh we're going to treat you so you can overcome this rather than that approach let me companioning let me companion with you through this valley of your life 
And it's a beautiful book. I really um, highly recommend it. And I asked you for the name because I will also add it to the show notes. So there will be a link. I'll, I'll look for it and, and link that and link um, the Center for Loss in Life Transition from Alan Wolf. And I will I will put all that. And then if listeners want to contact you and connect with you, how can they do that? They can contact me. Well, all of you listening can contact me through my website. That's uh, breath and death.com. And that's the title of the book I wrote in 2015. I also created an institute founded um, due to the interest in that book where I bring together birth professionals and end-of-life care professionals. I'm involved in helping train end-of-life care doulas and offer pregnancy loss training. So the idea here is to, to look at those two thresholds of human life, the threshold of birth and the threshold of death, and bring those of us who are trained in both and there are people who are professionally trained to, to hold space for both. Bring those people into conversation with each other and bring those who are trained in one or the other into conversation with each other. And the breath part is around mindful living, meditation, conscious breathing, conscious, conscious living, conscious parenting. So my work is, I think, very inspiring. I mean, it's inspiring for me, I can say. For me, this is inspiring work. <laughs> I find it really moving. And I welcome anyone listening to contact me through my website. You can find me on Facebook as well. You can look up my name, Amy Wright Glenn, and then you can find my Facebook page. But I, I just so appreciate your time, Adriana, for broaching the subject with such compassion, such clarity, such willingness to speak and openly and to welcome me to, to share whatever I've shared that's helpful. I, I hope it's been helpful. Very helpful. I thank you so much for being here today. I would love to talk to you so much, much more, and I'm sure we'll do other things in the future. Um, but thank you for all the work you do and for being on the show today. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.